I'll invite you to stand as you are able for reading from the gospel this morning. This morning, our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Here now for reading of the Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do apart from the very presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses was lifted up, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Please be seated. We are in week two of our Lenten series called Chains. And just as a reminder, Lent started on Ash Wednesday and extends 40 days, excluding Sundays, until Easter morning. And so sometimes through Lent, people decide to give things up, which will help them draw near to God. And in a similar way, some people take things on as a way to help them draw near to God. And so with this series called Chains, we hope that you all will be able to evaluate the chains that are in your life that are keeping you from that relationship with God and one another that God would have for us. So last week, Sterling preached and talked about the chains of need and desire. And we read from Matthew's Gospel about Jesus wandering and being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And so today we will talk about chains of need and desire. And this feels like a good time to say that if any of you have to miss a Sunday for any reason, our sermons are now on most podcast platforms. So if you are sick or out of town, you don't have to miss a Sunday just because you're not physically here. So this is one way to keep us all connected to each other and you can also share with your friends if they're interested on what's going on at your church here. So for this morning, again, we will be talking about how chains of knowledge can sometimes keep us from noticing the ongoing movement of the Holy Spirit. 
Four years ago, when I was preparing to go to Candler School of Theology, I thought I knew what I was signing up for. I had grown up in the church, I had gone to Bible studies, I had read the Bible by myself, and so I kind of had this idea that seminary must be like a really long Bible study. And I knew that it would be challenging, I knew that there was obviously the academic part of it, you come away with the master's, but I thought that it would really just be an extension of the Bible studies I was used to, which would leave me feeling pretty good about my faith, and it would encourage what I already knew, and build upon those things which I had grown and built like um, bricks on a building as a child. It would just build on top of these things. Well, what I didn't know until much later is that the first year of seminary is kind of designed to disorient you a little bit. And so you enter, coming in, you know, you've written your application, you've written your call story, why you're there, you're really excited, you're meeting new friends, and then you have these classes that start to kind of push and prod what you've always known to be true about the Bible, about God, you read church history maybe in a new way, and you start to realize that this Bible study is a little different than most Bible studies. It's set up to undergird what you've always known and to kind of look at the root of it and to say, is this true? And if it is true, why do you believe this about God? So the whole three years are set up to help you understand what you believe and why you believe it, so that when you are a pastor, you can definitively say, this is why I believe what I believe. But in this process, it's not a super like comfortable and cozy feeling like most Bible studies I've been to, where you kind of sit on couches and you're just checking in with each other and reading the Bible. This was intense. This was an intense three years that felt... Um, distressing sometimes, it felt frustrating sometimes, and a little confusing to be able to be encountering God in this new way, to be encountering scripture in this new way. But ultimately, at the end of the three years, I can confidently say that the process works. After three years, you come away, after everything's kind of been pushed and prodded, you leave knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and hopefully, you're able to talk about it. You're able to share that with other people and help them along that same journey of learning that it's okay to ask questions. And so I like to call that process that happens in seminary a time of holy curiosity, a time when you are encouraged to ask tough questions about God, about scripture, about stories that you've read your whole life. You begin to read in a new light as you start to say, the faith of my childhood doesn't necessarily have to be exactly the same as it is when I'm an adult. But with this holy curiosity comes a posture of being open and receptive as the Holy Spirit will move as you begin to ask these questions. Lucky for us this morning, we have a case study of someone who was very curious, brought to us by our lectionary reading in John. Nicodemus, we don't know much about him other than what we learn at the very beginning of the passage. He was a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews, and this alone means he was a successful and smart man. He'd been paying close attention to the movements of Jesus, and he had some tough questions for Jesus. He wanted to know more about this kingdom of God. But he didn't want people to know that he had these questions, because he approaches Jesus at night. 
He waits until it's dark outside, and I kind of imagine them creeping up to where Jesus is. He doesn't really want people to know that he has questions, because he's supposed to be the one with the answers. So he approaches Jesus, and he affirms, I know that you are from God, because no one could do the amazing things you're doing apart from God. There's just no way. And Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. The phrase kingdom of God is only used two times in the entire Gospel of John, and they're both used within this narrative. But Nicodemus, he doesn't focus on the kingdom of God phrase. Instead, he focuses on the last phrase that Jesus said, being born from above. That phrase in the Greek is pretty ambiguous, and I've read that people at the time could have heard that phrase one of two ways. So Jesus said it, meaning being born from above, but Nicodemus heard it the other way you can hear it, be born again. And so because of this confusion, a curious Nicodemus asked two more questions. How can one be born after they have grown old? And then, can one enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born? Jesus then elaborates on what he said further and kind of talks more into what he meant by the Spirit. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can this be? I don't understand. Please explain to me. And then Jesus answers in a very curious way. He says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? And I know there are lots of ways we can read this response from Jesus. But I kind of, today, imagine this as kind of a comic response. And because we don't know exactly what he meant, it's kind of like when you receive a text message from someone, and there's no emoji, there's no punctuation, and you're kind of left saying, is this a joke? Is this sarcastic? Is this serious? Without the clues, without the body language, without being able to make eye contact with someone, it's really hard to convey all that you're trying to convey in just text form. So this morning, I hear this response from Jesus as kind of a comic response. Nicodemus, you are a leader of the Jews. You are a Pharisee. You are the one who has all the answers for all the people. And even you don't understand what I'm saying. Notice that Jesus doesn't take that time to explain how you were born again or born from above. He doesn't give Nicodemus a guidebook on how this happens. He just says you have to be born of water and the Spirit. I think there's another reason that Jesus chose to use the analogy of birth and new life to talk about what it means to enter into the kingdom of God. Because through birth becomes new life and a new sense of curiosity about the world. As an infant changes into a toddler and then into a preschooler, they ask a lot of questions. And they do this because they are so curious. They're learning about what it means to be human. They're learning about themselves. They're learning about their family, what makes people laugh, what will push them over the edge and get them in time out. 
They learn all of this through asking questions and hearing responses. They're learning constantly. And so they ask the question, why, a lot. And I know many of you who are parents have probably experienced the um, frustration with this at some point after why, why, why. You probably want to say, I don't know, just stop asking the question. But because you are the adult, you are expected to have all the answers. Isn't it funny how that switches at some point in our life? We go from the child, who it's perfectly normal to ask questions. It's even expected that you will ask questions because you are learning about the world. But then at some point, I think it must be around the time you graduate from college, people start to assume that you are the expert and that you have the answers. And so there's this unspoken switch that flips, and instead of asking questions, you're supposed to have the answers. We tend to lose that sense of curiosity that lets us ask questions and be curious about things we don't understand. If we are curious about things, largely we go to Google on our phones. We don't ask people in the same way that children are not afraid to ask why and to push and prod, even on things that they have previously heard. Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4, the disciples have come to Jesus and they're asking him again about the kingdom of God. They say, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus picks up a child and puts the child right in front of them and says, very truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I have to think within that call is a call to curiosity, a call to be open, to ask questions, to not be afraid to sound stupid or ignorant if we don't know something, but to admit that we do need help, we don't have all the knowledge, and to let go of thinking that we have it all figured out. When Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born of the water and spirit, he is asking Nicodemus to let God work in his life, to let the Holy Spirit move as it moves. Scripture tells us that the Spirit of God is still active and moving in our world today, and because of this, there's more to learn, more to wrestle with, and more to be curious about. Now, this does not mean that we will always have answers to these questions. I think that a life of faith is a lot more like a big onion than it is an apple, the more you uncover, there are more and more layers. One question will lead to ten more questions. But somewhere in the midst of those questions, you are growing in your understanding and your relationship with God. And that is something to celebrate. We have two sacraments in the United Methodist Church. Holy Communion, which we will be celebrating each week throughout Lent, and Holy Baptism, which we're not celebrating today, but we have the font here as a way to remember our sacrament. And within each of these sacraments, we receive the gift of divine grace. One of my favorite parts of the communion liturgy, that's part of the word and table part two that we normally do, is we proclaim together the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And I love this part because we together as a church affirm that there are things we don't understand. And this is okay. It's been happening for thousands of years. People have been affirming, we don't know exactly how we receive this divine grace. We, don't, we can't fully 
comprehend what this gift means to receive the bread and the juice, but we do know that over time, as we continue to receive communion, as we continue to encounter God through these sacraments, we are growing deeper in our relationship with God. And in the same way with holy baptism, we see the water, and we can understand the water to a certain extent. It's the outward and visible sign of the spiritual and inward change. But the spirit, that is what changes a person, not the water. The water is what helps us see that something has happened, that a change has taken place. But the spirit is what makes a person new and gives that new life. Within each of these sacraments, there are things that we do not fully understand, but we depend on the action of the Holy Spirit that is ever present with us. And even beyond our sacraments, there are lots of divine and holy mysteries within our faith, within our scripture, within what we know as the walk of a Christian. And no amount of studying or learning will get us to a definite answer. Again, I think the more you ask questions, the more you study, the answers will become more and more gray, becomes less black and white as we dig into that. And the reason we will never understand all of these things is because we are not God, and thanks be to God for that. But in our curiosity and in our questions, we do grow deeper in our understanding of God and our relationship with God until we know God fully in eternity. There is a great parable from India about three blind men in a village. And as the story goes, an elephant came to their village for the first time. And they had never experienced an elephant before. And so they said, let's go and figure out what this creature is. So when they come upon the elephant, they all reach out their hands. And the first man said, oh, an elephant is kind of like a rope, as he was feeling the tail of the elephant. The next man said, no, I think it feels more like the trunk of a tree, as he was feeling the trunk of the elephant. And the last man said, no, it's more like a huge wall, as he felt the belly of the elephant. The three men argued and all insisted that they were right. They knew what an elephant was. And in fact, they were all right. But that doesn't mean that the other ones were wrong. As we learn to practice and to cultivate this practice of holy curiosity, we may learn things about God that are different than what we currently believe. And those chains of knowledge that we have would stifle us from learning new things. But it's when we allow the Holy Spirit to move that we may read scripture in a new light. We may notice things we've never noticed before. We may feel open to ask questions about the text. We may be led to pray differently. Because when you let go of those chains of knowledge, the Holy Spirit will move as it moves. And there's no telling what that will look like for each of us. In closing, I want to read a poem to you by a woman named Jan Richardson. And Jan is a United Methodist pastor in the Florida Conference. And her poems have long um, been such a word of encouragement for me in my faith journey. Her vulnerability and honesty about the faith experience is so rich, and so I want to leave you with this poem. So let these words wash over you. May you have the courage and the wisdom to wander beyond what you know to be certain, to be true, to be real. May you tug at the meanings you have pinned in place and look beneath the answers handed to you. And there in the shadow, 
May you know the certain presence of God, who meets us in mystery and takes pleasure in each question we find. May it be so. Amen.